Amen. Good morning, Cross Point. You guys awake? Good morning. Excellent. So children, you can be released. You'll, you'll see my lovely wife in the back with the flag as they make their way back there. If you all will turn with me to Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 12 uh, this morning. If you have a, a scripture journal, you can find that on the bottom of page uh, 86 this morning. That we are currently, as we've been studying through the, the gospel of Mark, we are nearing the end of Jesus' final week before he is crucified. It is like right on the horizon as we approach that this morning. But to fully understand the events that we're going to, to be looking at today, it's helpful to have some cultural background, some understanding of the context in, in which all this is happening. Like, if you have ever lived in, in another culture, a culture that's not your culture of, of origin, you know that a foreign, like living in, an, in another culture, it's more than just learning another language. My wife and I had the privilege of living for 10 years uh, overseas uh, in Israel, in Europe, and then in North Africa. And in this time, you learn that it's not just language. I've made so many blunders. In Palestine, I remember my back was hurting, so I kind of put one leg over the other, right? And then you find out that whoever was sitting to that side to show them the bottom of your shoe was to completely disrespect them, saying that they're not even worth what's on the bottom of your shoe. And I'm like, sorry, sorry, like, <laughs> didn't mean to. Or, or, or then even how you hand money in, in Chad, you only use your right hand, you would never, ever use your left hand because your left hand is used to clean unclean areas, let's say. And so you would never use that. Even time itself is viewed different. Like for me, I grew up, my dad, if, if, you, were, if you were not 10 minutes early, you were late. Like that's how I grew up. That's what it meant. And so if someone invited you over for dinner, let's say at 6 p.m. tonight, what time do you show up? Well, like normally we're showing up early and then sitting in the car waiting until six to walk in. So we did that. And then we find out that was disrespectful. In the culture that we were in, they were like, no, no, no. See, that means you're too anxious to eat our food. It's, it's better and you're more respectful if you come late because that's showing grace and acceptance in case we're running a little bit behind. There's all these things that you're just like, I don't know what's happening Right, But you learn, and when you enter into another culture, you have to enter in with humility. You have to enter in as a learner. The same is true of the passage we're going to read today. We have to step into it as a learner. It's not the culture for the majority of us, our culture of origin. They're going to talk about things that we're not accustomed to. But when we begin to see it through the lens of the original culture. I believe the beauty that it has for us this morning is staggering. It's like looking at a faded black and white picture and all of a sudden it, it being exposed into this brilliant, clear, saturated color. That's my prayer this morning as we enter this text. Because really the, 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 there's not an application, let's say, that we're going to end with for you to like, now go and do this or believe this. Today's text is going to have us in the Lord's Supper. So typically we preach a passage and then at the end we celebrate the Lord's table today together. But today we're going to do it a little bit different. 
today that the point is, is for us to both remember and to rejoice. And the Apostle Paul tells us in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that whenever we celebrate the Lord's table t- together, we are publicly, as a community, proclaiming the Lord's death until He returns. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. That as we go through the history and the background and understand the depth and the meaning of the Lord's Supper, we're also going to partake of it together for those who have trusted in Jesus Christ this morning. And I pray that it leads our hearts to a deeper understanding, to a deeper remembrance and a more profound rejoicing in who our God is and what he has done in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So let me pray for us and then we're going to dive in. Lord, I thank you. As we come together this morning and we remember the Last Supper, the Passover meal that you shared with your disciples on this day that is recorded for us. Lord, I pray that you would clear our hearts and minds of distraction and you would allow us to be present mentally, spiritually, Lord, present with what you desire to show us this morning. Lord, lead our hearts in remembrance. Deepen our affections in rejoicing in who you are and all that you've done. And in Jesus' name, amen. So look with me, the bottom of page 86 in the scripture journals, Mark chapter 14, verse 12. It says, and on the first day of unleavened bread, sacrifice the Passover lamb. See, this should automatically be an indication we're not home anymore, right? This is a new cultural context that we're stepping into. I don't know the last time you've celebrated the Feast of Unleavened Bread or Passover in this context, but this has just entered us into a world, into a culture that for the majority of us is not our own. Even the way a day, when it says, and on that first day of unleavened bread, how do we even view a day? Like, when does Monday start? At midnight, right? But that's not how it was. So we think about Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, even how we see time. But I want to lay a foundation that we're going to build on in the coming weeks that in the Jewish culture, they viewed a day differently than we do. So Monday does not begin at midnight. Monday would begin around 6.53 p.m. today. See, when the sun sets in... in, uh, Jewish rabbis would say, when you see the first three stars in the night sky, the new day has begun. The sun has set on the previous day. So Monday begins in the evening. This is going to shape how we understand these future days coming up. Jesus also, or or God gave very specific days and dates for when celebrations were to happen. What about the Feast of Unleavened Bread? When was Passover supposed to be celebrated? How do we begin to understand the timeline that we're seeing here? And what we're going to see this morning in multiple places is there's a deep connection between the book of Exodus and the Passover and the Lord's table. And I want to thread all of these together because see in Exodus chapter 12, you'll see this passage on the screen. This month will be for you the beginning of months. Let me just step back one moment. Last week, I talked about 
Passover and where it came from. If you did not hear last week's message, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that. When the nation of Israel was held captive for 400 years in slavery, the first Passover is when God freed them from slavery. The Passover meal marked their, that moment when they trusted in God's provision of a substitute lamb that would be killed and its blood put on the doorpost of their home so that the angel of death passed over. Right? That was the first Passover, then to be remembered every year in a very specific way. And in fact, it says that month would be their January. And according to the Hebrew calendar, that's the, the month of Nisan. It says, tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of that month, Every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household to their father's house. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. Now, here's where I just want you to see what's happening here. Because there's a depth in beauty that I think too often we can miss when we only look at Scripture through our own cultural lens. When we begin to see how this final week of Jesus unfolds, the 10th would have fallen on Sunday. Now think about what it says. On the 10th day of that month, you shall take, choose the lamb that will be sacrificed later on the 14th. Do you remember what happened on that Sunday? In the triumphal entry of Christ as he was riding on the donkey and the people laid down palm branches and cloaks and to sing out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest, the chosen lamb of God being presented. This would have fallen on the same day that they went to the temple to select the lamb that would be slain. Now at that first Passover, it said that lamb you would bring home to your father's house and you would begin to to care for that lamb on the, the 10th, the 11th, the 12th, the 13th. You were caring and nurturing that lamb at your house. On those days, where was Jesus? At his father's house at the temple the 11th, the 12th. He was on the Temple Mount. This is my Father's house. He has called this a house of prayer for all nations. What are you doing? He's confronting the religious leaders. And then on Tuesday, He leaves. Now on the 13th, this is when Jesus is in Bethany. It seems like afternoon and the evening is approaching and this is when Judas goes to the chief priest and betrays Jesus for $300, willing to turn him over to the religious leaders, knowing that they want to kill him. Now, as the sun set on the 13th, on that Wednesday, the Feast of Unleavened Bread is beginning. That would begin by going through your home by candlelight and removing all the leaven from your house, all the the yeast You were to remove it all from your house, a sign of being purified. Judas went back to where the disciples were, removing yeast and the leaven from the home around him while his own heart was set on betraying Jesus. And then the sun rose that Thursday. 
This is the context when it says, and on that first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, because this is what it says in Exodus. This is when you would sacrifice the lamb. And then the disciples have a question. His disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? See, it's this question that they know that, that you can't have the Passover meal in Bethany. The, the, the law was you had to have the Passover meal inside the city of Jerusalem. So the disciples are like, where are we going to go? What's going to happen here? This is the, the longing, the question. And then Jesus responds to them. And he sent two of his disciples we know later that this is uh, Peter and John who are, are sent in. And he said to them, go into the city. And a man carrying a jar of water, which would have been unusual. Normally that would have been a woman. So this kind of stands out, this man carrying this jar of water. He's going to meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready and there prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. Here's what I want you to see. God had a plan. Jesus had a plan. We don't know if this was just supernatural that he would be there and had prepared a place supernaturally or if Jesus had had a conversation with this man and prepared it ahead of time. We don't know exactly how that took place, but what we know is that the disciples brought this question to Jesus, and Jesus was prepared. And, and here's what out to me, and I'm saying it like this. I was studying this passage this week, praying over it, and I get a text message from a friend, and we ended up talking on the phone, and this friend is going through, like when life gets turned upside down, and all of a sudden, you're like, I don't know where I'm going to be working, where am I going to live, how am I going to feed my family, like everything gets turned on its head. And it was this passage that I had just been studying that God brought to my mind. Like, we have our questions, don't we? Like, what's happening? Where am I going to go? What are we going to do? But God has a plan. He's prepared. Nothing catches him off guard. When it seems like we have more questions than answers, we can bring that to God and we know that he has a plan. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says that if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus, you are his workmanship. You have been created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. Think about this. This is saying that, that you've been created with a purpose, right? He has a plan prepared for you to walk in. And you may be standing here in this moment and like, I don't know what's happening. I don't know which way is up anymore. But God does. He's not caught off guard. And, and, and there was a faithfulness to, okay, the disciples went into the city and they found it just as he had said. There is a confidence that we can have even in the midst of, of all our questions. And then there's this break in the story. <clears throat> in verse 17, and when it was evening, 
Jesus came with the twelve to the upper room, and as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. One who is eating with me. And, and, and they began to be sorrowful and say to him, one after the other, is it I? Is it I? And he said to them, it is the one of the twelve who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to him by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not yet been born. It is one of the strongest condemnations we will read in all of Scripture. To Judas who betrayed Jesus kind of this sense that there's so much detail here I'm not going to get into even of the seating arrangement but just know that most likely as Jesus was there on one end of the table Judas was to his left is where he would have been eating. they would have been leaning on their left shoulder eating with their right hand as they reclined around a table low to the ground all the disciples are asking is it I is it I one of the other Gospels even tells us that Judas, along to join the course of the other disciples, says, Rabbi, is it I? And then Jesus looks at him, and I wonder in that moment if his heart stopped. Because it's in Matthew that it records that Jesus like, it is as you say. So while all the other disciples are saying, is it I? Is it I? He throws out his voice, and then comes the realization, he knows. He knows. Here's why that's so important. There are numerous non-believing scholars who will say that Jesus was only a revolutionary who got caught up in the momentum of the time. People said that he was God and it got him killed. The circumstances around him began to snowball in a way that he could no longer control. And he wanted to bring revolution, but he just ended up dying that it happened to him, that Jesus was just a victim of Judas's betrayal, that he was just a martyr for a cause that became greater than he was. And what I want you to see is nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus did not become overwhelmed by his circumstances. He knew that he was going to die. He has predicted it multiple times, even before he ends up in Jerusalem, even the night before when Mary anoints his head and his feet, he says that she is preparing my body for burial. He knows he is going to die. Even here, when he says in, in verse 21, for the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, there is a plan of God that Jesus is intentionally walking in as he voluntarily lays down his life. These events did not happen to him. Judas meant them for evil. Jesus walked in them in obedience to voluntarily lay down his life. And then it's here. As we continue in verse 22. And as they were eating, again, this is where we need to pause. Because if we're not careful, you're going to think about what it looks, around, looks like around your dinner table, right? 
What does it look like? We're all sitting around the table. We, we say grace. We eat. And then Jesus just used part of the meal. But, but that's not the case at all. The Passover meal is, is this once-in-a-year moment. It's not even like our Thanksgiving where it's a big feast. It, it has... An Everybody has their own different traditions. There is one tradition. It's called the Seder. It, you can, there, there's these outlines. This is what you say. This is how the food is cooked. This is what you pray. This is how you respond. There's an order to the service that goes along. And it's not just full of turkey and mashed potatoes and gravy. It's bitter herbs, salt water, vinegar, hard, unleavened bread, roasted lamb. And four cups of wine that mark this transition. There's an order to the service that's built around these four cups of wine that reflect back to Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. It's these four I will statements of Jesus. When God is saying, I will do these things in the Seder meal, the Passover meal remembers and and it highlights each one of these I will statements that our salvation, it did not come for Israel through Moses. It did not come of their own volition. It was God who delivered them. And God is making this clear. And the Passover meal is remembering specifically God's deliverance. And this is what we see. And so when it says, while they were eating, this is such a loaded statement because they're eating the Passover meal. And Jesus is about to just overtake it, change the entire paradigm of what has come before. He is going to add and change in ways that, that, that must have been startling for the disciples. But if we're not careful and if we don't take time to understand the context, we miss what was actually being changed. The depth behind what we are going to celebrate today and what we celebrate together each week in the Lord's table. And so I want you to see in the first cup, Passover meal would start with the cup of sanctification. Exodus chapter 6 verse 6 says, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of slavery, of Egypt. The start of the meal, it was customary for the host who was Jesus in this this case because he was said that he wanted to celebrate. He was leading the Seder meal. He would have been the one in a specific seat around the table serving as host in remembrance of God's deliverance. And he would have held up the cup and he would have said, Blessed are you, O Father, our God, who created the fruit of the vine. And it is remembering that Jesus is going to bring them out of Egypt. God is removing the nation of Israel completely from the bondage of Egypt. They are moved from an empire of slavery to a kingdom of freedom. God's people in God's place. They are being freed. They are being taken out. They are being given a purpose in life. By the will of God, they have been set apart and they have been given a purpose. This is not the cup we celebrate at the Lord's table. 
but it is one that continues to hold a significance for us together. That we too have been transferred from a kingdom of darkness to a kingdom of light. We too have been given a purpose to be the light of the world. We have been taken out of the world so that we may reflect God's glory to all people. It is the cup of sanctification. Now, after this first cup is shared, it would have been customary for the host to rise, and he would have had a basin and a pitcher, and and he would have washed the hands of all those around the table. But it's here that the other Gospels tell us that Jesus didn't just wash their hands. He washed their feet. Peter's like, what are you doing? No. But Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, then you won't be clean. And he's like, then wash my whole body. That the sanctification, the being brought out is through the servant our servant Savior, Jesus, who humbled himself, serving those whom he created and who have rebelled, and he washed their feet. After that was done, it was customary, it's called the carpus in the Seder meal, when you dip the bitter herbs in salt water. See, this is not the fancy Thanksgiving feast. And it even takes a different tone when you realize that in dipping it in the salt water, it is to remember the tears that have been shed over the years of bondage and sin. See, sometimes I think that we like to just cover up the brokenness, right? Just push it down, cover it over, let's be happy, let's smile. A momentary emotion of happiness to slowly push down the sorrow. And yet throughout the Seder meal, it was to bring it to the surface and say, don't forget. Don't forget the tears that have been shed in brokenness. And not just remembering, but in looking back and saying, it's not just my tears, but it's the generations who came before. It's the generations who have been in slavery. It's the generations who were in bondage. It's the culmination of tears and taking those bitter herbs and dipping it in the salt water and then eating it. Can you imagine that moment of remembrance? And then you would break the bread. There were three pieces of matzah bread that has its own meaning in and of itself. But there would be three pieces, and you would take the middle piece and you would break it. And it was customary to say that this is the bread of misery, which our fathers ate in the land of Egypt. All that are hungry come and eat. All that are needy, come and keep the Passover. And you would break that middle piece of matzah, and you would take the largest piece, and you would wrap it in a linen cloth, and you would hide it away until it was time to to bring out the, the roasted lamb that had been sacrificed. Nothing else would have been said during this time. 
One Jewish resource said, for we recognize that like the broken matzah, we are incomplete. With prayers yet fulfilled, promise, a promised redemption that is still to come. It was a longing. It was a a waiting. It was a mystery of something that was still in the future, a bitterness that was and a bitterness that still is and longs for something different in the future. In Jesus, when he took that bread and he broke it, the script was changed forever. He did not remind people of the misery that is ours, but of the hope that is in him. He says, this is my body, broken for you. No more mystery that is hidden. I am the Lamb of God. This is my body, broken for you. Jesus is about to consume our misery our sin, the bitterness that was ours is placed on Jesus. And in exchange, He gives us the sweet blessing of hope that we have in Him because His body was broken and His blood was shed. Redemption is here because His body was broken. And so I want to invite you with this in mind, if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus, On the ends of the bench, you'll see the communion elements. And I want to encourage you to take the bread from the elements. And if you've ever looked at these and you're like, these are terrible, they're tasteless, they're dry, I want you to remember that's the point. This isn't supposed to be that meal of sweet, rich foods. It is to remember that Jesus took our bitter sorrows when his body was broken. And then think of what Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary. Come to me. Remember. It's the words from the Passover meal. Come to me. Those who are hurting, come to me, those who are crying themselves to sleep at night. My body was broken. I took your sorrows. I have taken your sin. And we do this then in remembrance of Christ. And so I want you to encourage you, even if it's small, to break the bread. And this is when Jesus changed the script. No longer our bitterness, but our joy. Because his body was broken for us. Do this in remembrance of him. Let's partake together. It's here in the Passover meal that they would have moved to the second cup. It's called the cup of deliverance. Exodus 6, 6, after it continues, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. That was the first I will. Now for the second, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will deliver you. 
for 400 years, the Israelites were held in slavery in Egypt, generation after generation, living and dying to build up the very kingdom that oppressed them. They could not save themselves. They were enslaved. Moses was not their Savior. God is making it clear. Remember, I am your deliverance. I will deliver you out of that. As Christians, this is not the cup we celebrate either at the Lord's table. But it is one that we remember that we too have been rescued from the bondage of sin and darkness. We have been delivered to a kingdom of light, not by our own works, not because of someone else, but because of God Himself. Jesus Christ, through His life, death, and resurrection, we have been delivered. Our deliverance is secure in Him. This is our hope. And then, the third cup. The cup of redemption. It would be towards the end of the meal. There were other elements in the meal, but towards the end, in Exodus chapter 6, 6, it continues, and I will redeem you. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment going to redeem Israel. He's going to take back what is rightfully his. A people, a nation that belongs to him that have been taken captive. In the same way that this is true of all humanity, not just the, the nation of Israel being held in captivity in, in Egypt is a shadow of the greater truth that we all having been created in the image of God, are now, now held captive in the kingdom of darkness. And God is the one who redeems us. He buys us back. He delivers us. And in the past, that deliverance, that redemption came by a applying the blood of a sacrificed lamb to the doorpost of their home. And Jesus is now standing up. And He's saying, I am the Lamb. From the night of the, the Lord's Supper this night and onward, Jesus established a new covenant in His blood. Not the blood of what God provided as a sacrificial substitute lamb, but in Himself, redemption would come. Not in just remembering a past redemption through the Lamb, but in the present and future, a new covenant that's poured out in my blood for many, not just for Jews, but for all peoples across all the earth. God has purchased redemption in the blood of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus then, He holds up the cup and he says, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Again, completely transforming and overtaking what happened in the past to what is presently true in him. And he says, this is the cup that we remember. It is the cup of redemption. Our redemption that was purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. 
Ephesians 1, 7 through 10. Listen to these words. See how it comes full circle between the cup of redemption and even the plan of God. In Ephesians 1, it says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the the mystery of His will according to His purpose which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. Do you see the totality now of the plan of God working itself out in the cup of redemption? And this is what we partake each and every week as we gather. It is that moment where together, as we partake, not just on our own, but collectively, the Apostle Paul says, we proclaim, we proclaim that Christ died on the cross, that He is our redemption. Together, we proclaim that our hope is in Him. And so I want to encourage you to take the cup And I pray with the deeper appreciation and understanding we know what we partake of this morning. That our redemption is in Christ and Christ alone. Let's partake together. There's one final cup in the Seder meal. It's called the cup of praise or or the cup of acceptance. This is where it says it's remembering the words of of God in Exodus chapter 6 verse 7 when it says, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. By the blood of the Lamb, we are no longer strangers or enemies of God. We are children of God. We are not just tolerated by God as an inconvenience. We are accepted as sons and daughters. This is the the praise that ends. But we're also told in Matthew... When Jesus says, I tell you, I will not drink again from this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my father's house. We don't know exactly the other elements. I think we can track accurately in the Seder meal. We don't know if Jesus drank this cup or not, but I'm of the mindset that this is the cup that Jesus did not drink, which was not normal. It wasn't the custom. But when he says, I tell you, I will not drink again of this, uh, the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. This is what it records in Matthew 26. And in John 14, Jesus is also recorded as saying, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Here's the picture I have in my mind. We call it the Last Supper. 
I think a more accurate name is the First Communion. A First Communion that was never fully completed. There's a waiting. There's a moment of abstinence where Jesus says, I'm not going to partake of the vine until, until it is made complete, until I return in all people, all those, all the many whom I've redeemed are also sitting around the table. Because I want you to think of the picture that is painted for us in Isaiah 25. The banquet in heaven. The similarities to the Passover feast and yet the complete difference. It says, on this mountain... This is Isaiah 25, verses 6-9. through On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast. A feast of rich food and a feast of well-aged wine. Of rich food full of marrow and aged wine well refined. This is not like the Passover feast. We are not eating bitter herbs dipped in salt water and vinegar. We are no longer remembering the tears of the past and the confessions of sin and bondage and darkness. This is a feast of celebration, of longing, of waiting, where all people are gathered together around the throne of God. And He, God, will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of His people He will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for Him that He might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for Him. Let us be glad and rejoice in His salvation. Do you see the culmination? What has been waiting, what had been left untouched at that first communion at the Last Supper will be celebrated together in fullness in the kingdom of God when Christ returns and all peoples who have placed their faith and trust in Him will share in a meal of celebration together. And until then, We celebrate the cup of redemption. We celebrate His broken body. And we remember His sacrifice, proclaiming His death until He comes and we sit around that banquet feast together, rejoicing that it's not just redemption that will come. It is redemption that has come. And we sing and we celebrate together. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for your word that, Lord, we can step into this day when you celebrated the Passover meal with the disciples. Lord, that we can be that fly on the wall that's listening, that's hearing. Lord, I thank you. that you voluntarily laid down your life to have your body broken for our sin. Lord, instead of bitterness and tears, we taste your sweet mercy. Instead of wrath, we drink a cup of grace and redemption.
And Lord, it has nothing to do with us. As you said over and over in Exodus 6, it is only by the work of your hand. It is only by your deliverance. It's only because you have brought us out. It's only because you have opened your eyes. It's only because you have called us children. And so, Lord, all we can say is thank you this morning. All we can say is thank you for the grace we did not earn and we do not deserve. Thank you. Lord, in the questions and difficulties and tears that we continue to shed in this life, let our hearts and spirits find their rest in you and you alone. And in Jesus' name, amen.